Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. My name is Mike Indivina, and thanks for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Bjorvin Benedictson. If you're not familiar with Bjorvin, he is an audio engineer, musician, entrepreneur, author, educator. The guy does a whole bunch of stuff. He runs audioissues.com as well. And Bjorvin's just an all-around good dude. And in this chat, we get into a lot of talk about building your career and what that looks like. You know, how to build an audience and keep people following the music that you make and how to keep top of mind by repurposing content as well. We also get into some really good stuff about work-life balance and how to maintain that balance and what that looks like. You know, how to create efficiencies in your schedule and in your process and a whole bunch of other stuff so that you can actually live a well-balanced life in this industry. Because let's face it, this industry can be tough at sometimes. It can be very demanding. But you need to set yourself up in a way that you're going to get the life that you ultimately want and not be feeling like the industry is like just wearing you down and, and just like, you know, turning into something that you don't want to be a part of. There are definitely ways that you can have a successful career in this industry and live a well-balanced lifestyle. So in this interview, we get into a lot of different ways that Bjorvin's done that for himself and different ways that you can do it for yourself as well. So with that said, let's just jump right into today's episode. Jorvin Benedictson, thanks so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. What's going on, man? Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Excited to chat. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Me too. For people who might not who might not be familiar with you, can you give us your background on who you are, what you do, and all the awesome things you're up to? Yeah, how much time you have? <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. Um, you're like you're entrepreneur to the max, <laughs> from what I know. <laughs> Yeah, so my name is Björkvin Benedictsson. I'm originally from Iceland, but I have lived in the U.S. since 2009, 2010 or so. Uh, I've been an audio engineer since 2006 when I sort of got the bug. I got a workshop in live sound at a live venue, and they showed me the mixer and how it all plugged in. I was in a band at that time, so I actually you know, knew about audio equipment, but I had never actually used it myself because the keyboard player at the time was the audio person in the band, and I was just like the cool lead guitarist uh, that had no interest in learning about any of that. <laughs> uh, but I got a workshop, I did a workshop, and then I was thrown into uh, the work, actually, and, and it, it seemed like the workshop was actually a ploy to see who was qualified or hungry enough to learn it so that the engineer giving the workshop could actually just uh, go and not do that job anymore because he didn't want to. So <laughs> I, I inherited his job or I got, I got a job at that venue. So, which was, you know, a, a good, you know, nice little random happenstance for sure. And so I did a live sound, was in bands in my teens and went to audio engineering school in Spain in Madrid, where I was for a year, year or so, year and a half. And uh, I met a girl there and moved to the U.S. to follow her, not in a creepy, stalkery way. She <laughs> Mutually, was, uh, mutually yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all consensual. Uh, she wanted me around. Uh, she still wants me around, and we have a two-year-old now, So, and we're married, and, and, and that's a whole, whole other story. But um, I created Audio Issues as a, as a school project in the SAE Institute in Madrid, Spain, as a sort of way 
well, I started writing and blogging about audio, and I was a staff writer for Audio Tuts, which is an Envato. If you're familiar with the Envato marketplaces, where you you can get all sorts of graphics, and Audio Jungle is like a is a royalty free like audio play, uh, marketplace things like that. So I was a staff writer for their tutorial site for a while. And I was learning about audio and paying forward and writing about what I was learning on a blog back in the Stone Age of the Internet in 2009, <laughs> 2010, and or 2009 actually. That's where it where it actually started. But um, and from there I started Audio Issues as sort of a website. It was called audio-production-tips.com, which is super SEO optimized for a terrible <laughs> brand name. <laughs> And uh, so I, I basically like to say that I started writing about audio and what was learning and what I thought was useful and what might be helpful to other people that were maybe not as far along as me. And I never stopped. That's amazing. The The topics have changed mildly over the years. They're very much still music production, mixing, mastering, and sort of the audio engineering side of the equation, sort of like a lot of comp- like EQ compression, reverb delay, saturation. Those are sort of like the main plugins that I talk about, the main processors that I talk about. But also because I've built this brand, this business, and I've created all these products, uh, you know, launched books, written books, and you know, kind of accidentally became an authority in 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 this industry in a very small niche. Uh, I do not portray myself to be uh, the know-it-all. Uh, in any way, I'm constantly learning at, at the same time. But because I've learned so much about the growing the brand, the business, and stuff like that, I started talking a little bit more about uh, music marketing or marketing and online marketing and, and sort of writing and storytelling and, and advertising and, and sort of growing a fan base or growing an, an audience. I don't have the quote-unquote fan base that a traditional musician might have. I have an audience of, you know, home studio musicians, bedroom producers, people like that. But there's very little difference in how you build an audience. Uh, you just build it. Uh, there's just different people and, and different, uh, different sort of topics that you talk about. Absolutely. Like, there's definitely a lot of crossover with that stuff. Yeah. And so the last thing I did sort of before or like during COVID and... Um, and right at, at the same time that my daughter was born was I wrote a book about sort of music marketing, music business uh, that I, I was always interested in and always thought they were very helpful. These sort of business parables, which are stories, sort of no, novelized fictional stories, but with a business purpose or that were, they were designed to teach you something. Uh you know, great examples are the the richest man in Babylon, the Go Getter, Built to Sell. These are all uh, they're sort of books that I modeled my book after, uh, and I, so I wrote sort of a business and marketing parable for the music producer that I published in twenty twenty uh, the, at the end of the world during the end of the world, and uh, and that's that one's called You Get What You Give: A Simple Story for. Uh, finding success in the music business. And that's sort of, you know, it's a little bit about me in, you know, audio, uh, in the audio industry in general. Uh, Basically just mostly a teacher these days. I've done, you know, been a professional musician. I've toured a little bit. I've been in tons of bands. 
uh, recorded, mixed, and mastered as a as a freelancer, things of that nature. So I've and broadcast recording engineer, sort of like uh, bands recording straight onto radio, which is a whole sort of controlled chaos situation, which is really fun. You have to be really, really <laughs> confident in what you are doing because there is no undo button. Um, so, you know, I take all of those different learning experiences and I hopefully create some f- content that people are interested in in, in, uh, in consuming and, and, and knowing more uh, and hopefully learning something that can help them. I love it, man. There's a lot to unpack from that. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm actually really curious about is that, like, you're a very pro- like prolific writer. Like, I find that you 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 have like thousands of articles all over the internet, and and I'm curious to know, like, were you always a writer? Or, like, was that like before you got into music, or, or like where did that part of it come in for you? Yeah, well, I, well, I've written, like I said, you know, I started writing and I never stopped. And, and the most annoying thing about writing so much is when I Google something that I want to know, I often find my own articles, and it's very <laughs> unhelpful. <laughs> but uh, but I've actually yeah I guess maybe this is a made up memory because you can't ever be truly sure but I think that I always wanted to be a writer uh, in some way and this was probably the way that it manifested itself like it was e- it's very easy to write how to technical stuff because it's like do this do that here's how this works very matter of fact. And I'm also very creative and kind of an artist. I don't know if I really do classify as a true artist, but uh, I like, I got kind of bored with the technical how to. So I started injecting more uh, sort of memoiristic tendencies, telling stories from my life that have, you know, maybe have some point to it that they can, that my audience can take, uh, have a takeaway and, and, and learn something from. And then, you know, you get what you give was sort of the culmination of that creativity. Like, oh, can I write almost a novel in a way that is still valuable for a specific audience? Yeah. Isn't just entertainment. I love that. Yeah, I was always curious about that because I, I was like, man, how does he write so much stuff? Like, I, I write, I write so many emails just like you know for my for my stuff. But uh, yeah. I'm always like, I don't like, how does he do it? Does he have a team of people that are writing for him or what's up? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, to be fair, I do have a team, um, but I don't. But they all they're more their tasks are more related to repurposing the writing that I've already done. Gotcha. You know, you know, so like I'll write the stuff and then they will either put it into a carousel post on Instagram or something along those lines. For sure. So repurposing and 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 recycling and, and making sure that the one piece of content you make can can be seen everywhere is super important. Yeah. And I think that that kind of ties into what you were talking about earlier about the idea of building an audience and like whether you're a musician or you're a blogger or whatever, it's like this concept is still the same. It's like, you want to repurpose stuff. You want to be in people's faces as much as you can. And that's, you have to be creative with that and like, and figure out these ways of repurposing. So, um, yeah, I love that. I think that that's like, that's a, that's a good thing to, for people to hear because yeah, people always ask me like, you know, how, how do I promote my music? And it's like, right. there's so many ways you just like, you have one song that you can turn so many different ideas out of. Right. Totally. So, and that goes down, it comes down to storytelling. Uh, so like you say like oh I have this you know I have music how do I market it well tell the stories how many stories are there in the song well there's hopefully at least one 
which is what the song is supposed to be about, right? <laughs> so you at least have one piece of content there that you can repurpose to all the social medias that you want to uh, be seen on. But then, you know, why did you write that song? You know, what uh, is there any sort of behind the scenes stories as you were writing it that was a challenge that might be interesting for people to learn more about? I think it's probably easier to be a musician and sort of the uh, closer in the artist camp than the sort of creative entrepreneur camp because your stories don't have to be valuable uh, in sort of a technical sense in that way. Like I feel like I have to make a point that they can go and maybe apply to their own music or productions or careers. If you're an artist, you can just say whatever you want. You can just talk about the music because they're interested in you not necessarily what you can do for them, which is when you're an entrepreneur, creative entrepreneur, you know, creating content that is useful, they care more about what you can do for them than care than they care about you, you know, as a person, I guess. <laughs> as, as, as sad that, as that is to say, uh, artists have a leg up in that regard because like, you know, how many artists have you that, you know, you, you probably love, a, a bunch of musicians and there's probably a time in your life where you were uh, just consumed with knowing everything that you could about that person. You know, yeah. you wanted to know, you know, you wanted to know their like pre-show ritual or something like that or something. Uh, and you've just found it interesting because their music was interesting and therefore they were inherently interesting as well. Yeah. I, I think that that's really awesome to hear. And, I agree with you 100%. I think it's like musicians get so caught up in like the song is the product and it's it's not the product like it's it's one element of it but like yeah like you said the story behind it can be expanded to so many different avenues and that's the stuff that keeps you in front of people's faces and I've always said to people like this isn't the music industry this is the entertainment industry and if you're an artist you need to learn to be entertaining and sometimes that that means telling your story and you know making some sort of funny video or whatever it takes to like get that story out there so you know right. the more people can step outside of the box and and stop thinking kind of like in these like old school music industry ways the, the faster I think people are going to build their audiences and and grow right and so and I think that there's something to be said about you know being entertaining and that you don't need to necessarily think of entertainment as just making people laugh and everybody's having a good time. Totally. Yeah. Like the entertainment industry is also, also tells sad stories and, and, you know, movies about challenges that have been overcome are more likely to get nominated for an Academy Award, of course. So like, that's the sort of stuff that, you want to uh, you want to think about it too. It's not it's not necessarily. You don't always have to show your uh, happy side. Yeah, it's it's more of like a. In some ways, it's I guess maybe you could say it's a connection industry more than like an entertainment industry, as in like you know that typical funny kind of way, right? Right, right. Totally. So so yeah, I mean, if you're connecting with people, then I mean, that's what this is all about. That's, I think that's why us like we as listeners we gravitate towards certain songs because we're like, Oh, that song speaks to me. That's a, that's an experience that I've had and I, I relate to it. So, right. you know, when you find those artists, then you're like, Oh, this person gets me, you know? So you want to learn more about those people at that time, because then like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, maybe someone tapping into some feelings or emotions or thoughts that you've never been able to express yourself. 
we can make it sort of like an audio nerdy sort of thing and talk about like, well, it has to resonate with you. You know, you make stuff that resonates with other people and they can relate to you. And if you don't tell those stories, they don't know how to relate to you. You know, and they never will. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but if you do tell those stories or you try to like share more, then there is going to be a certain percentage of people that will that your stories will resonate with and they will relate to you and then hopefully maybe follow you and become your fan, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a really good topic for people because, yeah, like like I said, like I have people asking me all the time, like, what do I need to do to like get people to pay attention to my music or, you know, break into the industry? And uh, right. yeah, the more you can like multipurpose your stuff, that's it's an easier way rather than like feeling like you need to write a gazillion songs just to stay up in people's faces that way. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, those sorts of things can be content in and of themselves. Like you write the song, but then the YouTube videos or the stories of behind the song that are either the reels, the YouTube videos, all these different things, they are all content that is entertaining in its own right. So it's, it's not just the song that's the product. It's all this other stuff that can gather you, get you fans and things like that. And if you have points to come across that are inherently valuable maybe uh maybe the youtube videos will get more views <laughs> than maybe the song will get streams you know totally of course you know i 100 agree with all of that and um one thing i think this is probably a good chance to segue into your book because obviously your book has to do with finding success in the music business um so before we get into kind of the the premise of the book i'd love to know like what to, what does success look like to you then as as an artist or as someone breaking into this industry? That's such a good question, man. That is the question to of, of, for all questions, really. Like, because I both know and don't know at the same time. <laughs> because it's like, well, I think inherently success means freedom and being able to do what you want and being happy with what you have. And but still wanting to challenge yourself and like you know grow, um, and it's funny like that one of the last things we I talk about in the book is finding success and defining success for you and what that means to you because it's going to be different for anybody or everybody right. Um, you some people are happy with very little and some people can't ever seem to get enough, and depending on where you are in your career. Obviously, you might be hungrier than some than other people, right? I, for instance, am probably not as hungry and ambitious as I used to be in my early twenties, right? Uh, I'm definitely more established. I'm more comfortable. I have created something that I can uh, build on. But when you are starting out, your definition of success is probably. It's probably where, I mean, you can think of it like, you know, when, when have you arrived, right? And you're the only person that can def- decide that for you. Mm-hmm. And it's at the same time, it's very hard to decide that because all these external social factors are influencing your decision and telling you that, no, in fact, you have to get back out in the rat race and do more and grow and, and, and because what you have now is not the success that you should have because look at all these Instagram accounts that seem to have more success than you, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
And so to me, success is uh, being able to take my daughter to daycare and, you know, pick her up with, uh, without worrying about a boss breathing down my neck. I haven't had a job in 15, 20 years probably by now, but that's like a true job with a boss. So like I'm completely unhirable in that sort of sense. <laughs> but having the freedom to, to work on what you want, uh, when you want it, uh, but still having a goal of what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to serve, and you know, being realistic and pragmatic with the uh, the fact that you do require money in order to sustain the lifestyle <laughs> that you have, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, it's it's and, and but that combination of factors is different for everybody, right? The, the single person that's an intern at a studio that can stay up until 2 a.m. recording indie bands is, is has, that person's definition of success is different because they're on a different path than I am. I would hate that life. <laughs> I would not <laughs> want that life. I did variations of that, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to like build giant rigs for big concerts and stuff like that. Uh, so I've certainly had my fair share of like the long hours and low pay, uh, but those were stepping stones towards what I thought success was going to be, which also changes depending on you know where where you go because you know you think that this is going to be it and then, and then now you're going to make it whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and once you've gotten to that point where you thought you were going to be. Good. You actually find that you, there's some other things that you may want to do, right? Yeah. That's that's why I talked about this with my insider members. We had a goal setting uh, class just on Monday, uh, and I talked about how you know thinking about you know what your definition of success is, what the goals are that you should kind of put that that relate to that level of success that you want. And then what are all the tasks that are required in order for you to reach those goals? And at that point, and you know, need to know when the goal is reached because you need to know when you're supposed to like stop and reflect and, 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 uh, and sort of either double down or decide it's not worth it because that's also, you know, these stepping stones may not always lead to where you want them to go. And so when you go, when you're, when you're at the goal and you think you've reached the goal, that's also the time to decide, uh, well, is this where I'm going? Is this the right place? And if so, and, um, and that's the sort of thing that you want to do, let's take, for example, just like writing, recording, and releasing a song, right? That is a process that's sort of cyclical, or it has a beginning and an end. But the career of writing, recording, and releasing a song is cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. So one song is a A to Z, right? But the career of songs or or producing music as a career is a cyclical thing. So once you've reached that goal once, you should make it a habit and systemize it so that that becomes the thing that you do and your identity. Because you know uh, how you describe yourself uh, says a lot about who who you are and what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're you're bang on where it's like 
as as you grow, your your goalposts for what success is like will definitely change. And you know, right. as as a dad myself now, like I get it. Like I I don't think I got it for the longest time, and now I'm now I'm here at the stage, and it's like okay, I need to be like home for my family. I need to be like you know present and not yeah. be like some deadbeat dad that's like just all about my music and I'm just playing gigs all the time or like, you know, working late all the time and whatever, ignoring my family. Uh, you know, so I get that that changes. Whereas like, yeah, when I was 20, I like, I didn't sleep, you know, it was like, <laughs> that was yeah. like, that's how I, that's how I made my, my imprint on the industry, I guess, and got my foot in the door. Right. Um, so that's always going to change. And, and I think that, you know, it is good to, it is good to look ahead at like where you want to ultimately go with it and just make sure that, the steps that you're taking in the current day are the things that are actually contributing to to that happening, right? Because like you could you could just take opportunities just because they're an opportunity, and sometimes that isn't the thing that you need to actually get closer to your goal. It could take you further away, right? Right, and you will find, and I find I've, this has happened to me numerous times, is that once you decide that you want to achieve something and you know that that goal is where you want to go, don't be surprised. That all these other opportunities come out of the woodwork. <laughs> so true. And and like, you know, want your time. And they all look like good opportunities, but they are just short-term uh, excuses that take you away from where you want to be. Not to say that you shouldn't take the opportunities if if you like them or what whatnot, but you find the that the universe works in a weird way that when you when you think you're focused on something the universe will focus on giving you all these distractions. Yeah. <laughs> What's that saying? Like when you, when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. And so, yeah. you know, if, if that no is to where you actually want to go with your goals, then yeah, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot there. Some, some, obviously some opportunities are, you know, you just take them because they're fun and they're, they're not really going to make a big effect in your life, but other things will. Right. So you definitely have to be, constantly like evaluating where you're at versus where you want to go. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about this book. Obviously you, you mentioned that's like a parable kind of in the style of like the go giver and that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about it. what's in there. Yeah. So it is, um, it tells the story of Casey. He is a, he wants to be a music producer, but he's just working in a dead end job in the ID IT department of some marketing firm, uh, not going anywhere, doesn't really love his day-to-day, but his day-to-day gives him the money to uh, buy all this gear that he he loves music and loves audio, and he has a really cool home studio, but because he has to basically say goodbye to his dream of working in the studio every day uh, that he goes to work, uh, it sort of weighs on him, and he really actually wants to figure out how to make music his full-time thing and for uh through some you know inciting incidents because you have to put an inciting incident in a book otherwise <laughs> nothing happens and nobody wants to read it uh he rage quits his job and just uh decides that all right i'm just i can't stand this job anymore i'm gonna leave and uh, i'm gonna just figure this thing out right and then after a sort of a disastrous uh, beginning uh, and sort of like real low paying, terrible clients that take advantage of him that, you know, and he, he's just kind of left holding, uh, well, he's left having done a bunch of work with nothing to show for it. Um, he's, you know, down on his luck, which is where, you know, 
you want the hero of the journey to sort of hit rock bottom and then something's supposed to happen. So what happens there um, is that he meets a mentor. And so this is the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the story that comes in and, and, and he is a music producer or a sort of a music producer coach sort of mentor that has had some success in the industry and in business in general. And he takes him under his wing and teaches him the success skills that he needs to grow, start and build and grow his uh, studio business. So throughout, you know, I think, I think it's the timeline of the book is a few weeks. Uh, they meet, you know, every, um, every week for lunch because, you know, every good conversation happens over good food. <laughs> and so they're hanging out, eating lunch every chapter of the book, talking about music and, Talking about you know how you the mindset you need to succeed to find quality clients the habits that you need to adopt in order to be you know be the successful person that you you want to become uh, understanding your customer understanding who your clients are uh, and figuring out the strategies behind sort of like diversified income streams pricing structure how to price yourself uh, and ultimately defining your own success and what that means for Casey in this, uh, in this regard. But, you know, obviously for the reader, hopefully that will give them some idea of, of what they want to do next. Right. Are you sure you didn't write this book like 15 years ago and move to Canada and follow me? Cause like, I swear this is my story. <laughs> <laughs> Even down to the lunch. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I know that it's, relatable because you're not the only one that has a similar story like that. And it has, uh, and there are, there are so many similarities between you and me and, and, and my students and your students and what they want to achieve. And, uh, so I thought it'd be fun to, fun to see if I could write, write something entertaining that people could be inspired and motivated by. I love it. Yeah. I I do think that, you know, it is that uh, it is obviously that hero's journey that you're talking about in the book. But like, we we all experience that to some degree in our own careers, and and uh, you know, maybe it isn't like verbatim the way you described it. But like, you know, we we all go through a lot of those similar ups and downs, and and kind of starts and stops and stuff like that with it with our careers, especially when you're trying to make a go of it, being on your own and that kind of thing. There's there's a lot to learn, um, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes and all that. But uh, I lo- I love that that's. Um, the concept of the book. I'd love to talk about like, what are some of the common mistakes that you typically see people making when they're trying to get into the industry? Like what are some of those typical things that you, that people kind of shoot themselves in the foot with that, that maybe are slowing them down? Yeah, I think um, maybe moving too fast or like basically like, you know, asking people to marry you too fast, you know, uh, basically like, wanting to work together immediately instead of trying to like start a relationship or understanding each other or whatnot, um, or trying to sell too soon. Yep. Um, what about like the, the rage quitting thing? Like, cause obviously that's part of your, your story. Right. And like, I've been there, man. And I failed horribly when I, when I rage quit. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think to me that's, that's part of it, but you know, I'm sure lots of other people make those, those things too. Yeah, I think that you should maybe be more pragmatic about it than uh, just uh, jumping into the deep end because you don't really know if you can swim yet. Um, and especially if you haven't, don't have a track record and just have a desire, 
you you need to. I hate using the term "pay your dues" because who are you paying? Yeah, but you you have to have something to show in order to be you know taken somewhat seriously in that regard. Like, uh, so like you don't necessarily want to quit a job that you have, but maybe you can do something on the side. Maybe you can start something on the side. And then once you've built that side business, that side startup, side studio, if you will, you have the ability to say no to your job at that point because you've created something that's uh, financially feasible and and on strong footing instead of just uh, the leap of faith. Because you know, as much as we want to romanticize the leap of faith, it doesn't always work. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that you brought up a good point there of like, you know, sometimes you have that desire to do something, but it's not necessarily a clear strategy. And right. and that's, I think, where a lot of people get caught up. It's like so many people have jobs where, you know, they've got like a bitter, they're bitter to like their boss or whatever. And they're like, oh, I can do a better job than that person. And it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe in some aspects you can, but there's like, there's a lot more than just like sometimes the the one task that you know really well. It's, you know, right. <laughs> there's right. a business behind all of that, right? <laughs> right. And that's also the thing that, you know, like, because in our industry these days, you kind of have to do everything. Um, there are still big studios and you can get an internship and maybe become a staff engineer somewhere, but that's very... Uh, restricted to certain metropolitan areas and certain geographic uh, areas in that regard. So, like, that's just not viable to somebody who's in, you know, a less populated state or somewhere that it doesn't have a music hub. But that doesn't mean that they can't excel at their craft online. Totally. You know? But at that point, you have to know not just your craft and your art. You have to know the marketing and business side of of getting people to find you and having the soft skills. You you need the hard marketing and business skills, but you also need the soft skills of of relationship building and and being, um, you know, adding value, whatever that means, providing value to people in in that regard. You know, whether mm-hmm. that you know, and that can mean working for free and to, in order to start a portfolio. Uh, or that could be creating content that hopefully people see. That's what I did. I just because I can I I always wanted to be like the engineer, and I was a live sound engineer, and then I did a lot of like engineering in 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 all different types of things, mostly sort of uh, recording bands, not producing music in the studio in in the modern way uh, in that regard, but a lot of the sort of engineering side of things. And, and so like what I was doing was I was just creating this content as a way to teach. And then I just became the teacher as opposed to the the person that people come to in order to get their songs mixed. Because like, I usually turn people down when they ask uh, if I can mix their song. I usually refer them to my students that I know want gigs more than I do uh, because I just have too many things on my plate because I'm too focused on yeah. the, uh, on the, all of the other part. Um, Daniel Grimmett, I don't know if you uh, know him, he runs this uh, 
business called Dark Label Music, and he's a mu- music pr- producer, business consultant in a way. We're friends, and he talks about this a lot in his YouTube videos, how like the diversified income streams and how you sort of build your career. You have to start with you know like the experience and then the rela- relationships, and then you can sort of build the authority in that regard. I was lucky in that maybe I built the authority uh, online because online was early. You know, back mm-hmm. in those days, there was like only a handful of audio blogs. And now even the biggest Grammy award-winning engineers have their own courses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I can't remember where we were going with this, but <laughs> but I think that uh, when you're starting out, you know, like you have to, you have to be, you have to have the skill that they want you to use if if you want to get do the job right, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I would never, I would never bid for a job to you know produce a an EDM hit or whatever because I'm simply not qualified for that. Could I mix the song? Probably. Um, but could I? Could I master the song? Definitely. Um, could I? create a online presence and help them with all of their online marketing. Absolutely. Because like, that's where my skill set is. And in this industry and in all industries, especially once we've, because there are so many things available online and out there and everybody has their personal brand and everybody's a life coach and offering these things and that you have to be not necessarily super specialized, but have to be good at a few things that you can put together in order to be exceptionally unique at that thing. Right? It's a differentiating factor when you know right. those kind of things. Right. Like yeah. it's easier to be the only person than uh, than just being good, but you know, good or or great at something. But you're in a sea of a bunch of other people that do the same thing. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a million great audio engineers out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, and they're all better than me. But most of them don't know a thing about marketing or how to promote or whatever. So it's like the engineer who's maybe like pretty good and can get good results, but who knows how to like promote the stuff that their artists are working on and, and like actually help those people grow. Like those are the people that are going to have more success in it, I think. You know, I, I think it's the reason why you know, a lot of people will like look at other artists that maybe they don't like their music. And, you know, I'll give an example of like, you know, people would say like, oh, Justin Bieber, he's crap or whatever. And it's like, whether you like his music or not, that kid knew how to work his ass off and market yeah. himself and hustle. So like, that's why he's successful. It's because he, he diversified his skills and like figured that out and like made it happen yeah. because of that. Right. Totally. So, yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Like you just want to always have those extra skills to be able to to push further or help help the people that you work with push further as well. So. Yeah, really helps differentiate you for sure. Well, I, I know that like, you know, some people are going to listen to this and, and think like, well, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe I don't have those skills. And I think that there's sometimes going to be that feeling of imposter syndrome where it's like, I'm not good enough at this. And so, you know, or maybe that, that engineer who maybe does have those other skills, but it's like very self-conscious about their engineering side of things. Like, you know, they're not going to push themselves as an engineer. Like there's lots of different things, different ways that imposter syndrome can come in. So what are some of your tips for overcoming that? Cause I know that's something you do talk about in your book a little bit. Yeah. I, it's funny. There's a chapter in the book where it's basically all about imposter syndrome. And, um, 
And I sort of personified imposter syndrome as just like the person that's trying to get you to not do the things that you know you should do. Uh, and when you start doing the things that and start making progress on the things that you want to do, uh, they will find you new shiny objects that you should focus on now. And therefore, you end up never finishing anything, right? Um Imposter syndrome is a tricky subject because I think uh, most people have it, uh, except the sociopaths. <laughs> and um, it is both helpful and very destructive because you kind of can listen to basically, <laughs> basically do everything that the imposter syndrome tells you not to do. <laughs> that's That's probably the the thing that's more likely to get you success because like there's um because it's fear right like mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is fear it's it's in the way because you're afraid of what might come because this isn't probably not talked about enough and it's that sometimes you're also f um afraid of what the success might bring like what if i succeed what then what do i have to do then i don't know if i'm ready for that Totally. That might be something that people, uh, th those are sort of the limiting beliefs that you might have when you're trying to succeed, whatever that means, uh, in, your, in, your, in your own way. And imposter syndrome is trying to keep you from that, but they are also trying, I think, trying to keep you, trying to show you that, well, it's super cozy right here. Why, why do we, why should we leave? Like, why just, you know, just chill. And like, aren't you happy with this? Right. Um, who's, who are you to, who are you to do this? Like, there's a plenty of other people out there that are doing that. You don't have to think about that. You don't have to focus on that. Just let them do it. Or, uh, what, what other, what other uh, things are there? Like, it's like, yeah, there's the comparison syndrome. Like, oh, you're never going to be, you're never going to do it at the level of, of this person, disregarding the fact that that person started at zero too. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's also the like, who are you to do this? You know, and it's like, uh, well, why not me? Why not you? Like, whose permission are you waiting for here? Like, nobody's nobody's telling you you're not you shouldn't be doing this. And also, nobody has the right to tell you that you shouldn't do this. Assuming, of course, that what you are doing is legal, ethical, and moral <laughs> in every way. Um, and because like. If it's creativity and art and you believe in it, why not do it? Uh, like what's you're only hurting yourself by 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 limiting yourself in that way. I Absolutely. Think. Yeah, I love how you just like flip flip the script on it, you know? It's like when you start to feel that feeling of like, oh, I can't do this, like, well, ask yourself a different question. Like, what if? Like, you yeah. know, that's uh it's 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 good stuff. Yeah, I find uh I meditate a lot and I started meditating more now that I've flipped my routine a little bit better uh, in the last last couple months but um, what I've found that when you meditate you sort of are able to observe your thoughts a little bit better uh, and you're able to um, deflect the negative self-talk a lot by just having a conversation with yourself uh, not on the street corner loud though just <laughs> do it personally um, and uh, but you, when you, um, when you talk to yourself and when you can observe your thoughts, you can actually start asking yourself, like, what, what 
is it, why am I feeling like this right now? What is it that I am dealing with that is making me feel that way? What am I afraid of here? Uh, and you can start being like a little analytical about your like psyche, I guess, which is, uh, which I think is helpful because you can, uh, you can sort of, um, Psychoanalyze yourself a little bit. <laughs> kind of um, dangerous, but <laughs> yeah. E- even though you're probably not qualified to do so, but you being able to have a conversation with yourself where you know that you are you can be your own worst enemy uh, is helpful because um, you need like once you're aware that the person that's holding you back the most is yourself, uh, you are able to play the play chess with your inner shadow or whatever, uh, whatever, imposter syndrome, Giannis, whatever we want to call him. Uh, because it's obviously a him. Nobody, no woman would do this to. I'm going to choose sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and once you are like, are aware of the enemy within, if you want, if, if you will, then you're able to play a better game. Yeah, Absolutely. I love that. And I, and I think you brought up a really good point there, too, of like fear of success, because that is a real thing. And it, it's, yeah. it can be very crippling and it can be very easy to just be like, oh, I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at right now. And, you know, sometimes when you're looking ahead and, and you're thinking like 10 steps ahead of yourself, you're, you're just like you're creating problems that aren't problems right now. They might not ever be a problem, but because you think you perceive that they could potentially be. You're like, I don't want to deal with that right now, so I'm going to just stay where I'm at. And yeah, yeah it's equally as crippling as, yeah, just uh, fear of failure too. Right, because it's like you can make you can make up the future in your mind in like a heartbeat, but it's all made up, and none of it is is secure. And if you if the future you make up in your mind is negative, and that's the future you hold. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the future you get because that's the future you focus on. But if you are aware that maybe the future I imagined is made up, you can actually have a better conversation and construct a better uh, mindset towards the future and where you want to go in- instead. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Um well, one other area, like one one topic that I wanted to talk to you about was the idea of work-life balance. And obviously, like, you know, we've talked about how when you're younger, you might have more energy, your goals might be different. So you're going to like hustle your ass off and that kind of thing. And as you get older, obviously things can change. And you and I are both dads. So, you know, I'm, I'm a new dad. So I've got lots of lessons to learn from you there. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, like it, it can be an adjustment to just like find like catch yourself being like oh i need to like change my lifestyle to like actually live a different way than i maybe used to so how do you go about managing that work-life balance like what's how do you like do you have systems in place for that or what's that look like for you yes so um a a few different things is one one thing that i've i realized is that it, it well obviously changes you completely in every way but what you think is important also very much changes, mm-hmm. you know, because you're not just doing this for yourself anymore. You're doing this for somebody else and it prioritizes, um, you know, the, maybe, the, may, maybe in a bad way, the, the fact that you need to provide. Uh, so you want to be thinking of that. So like, even though an opportunity is good, if it, 
is just like a free fun, fun thing, but it just doesn't fit. That's not something that I would uh, take on anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't do free work anymore. I haven't done free, free. Well, I do free work every, every once in a while, but like I pick my projects and I, I pick my offers and I, um, I just don't, I just prioritize people that are serious um, and really try to focus on what is actually going to move the needle for my family mm-hmm. more so than just like, oh, this could be fun, you know? Because like if I'm spending time on this, I might not be able to be there for, for Lilia when she, you know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing is like I reprioritize uh, the importance of things and who and what tasks are important, right? Uh, and you become actually kind of maybe a better business person or an entrepreneur in that regard because you stop dealing with people's bullshit uh, and you just you just start ignoring people that aren't serious and you un- you start understanding that like oh these are these uh, people will never become clients or customers so they don't actually matter as much as as I thought they might. Because like I have to take care of myself and my family first. Mm-hmm. I can't be doing free stuff, free content, free this, that, and the other thing, just because uh, they expect it. Because they they are not that important to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing is just um, I mean having a, you know a structure for your partner. Um, and making sure that like you delegate the tasks well enough. Like my my role is pretty defined, and like there are certain things that I'll, I always do. Like I always pick her up, I always drop her off, unless I'm um, unless I'm not available, which is uh, not very often, right? Yeah. So those are those are the jobs, and so like I always do, you know, I always do the. The lunch and I make the food and and I make sure that you know she's she's picked up and all, all these sorts of things. So and that actually helps build a routine because like she has to go to daycare and she has to be picked up from daycare. So that sort of structures your day or that caps your day in a, in a certain way. Like you can't just like forget yourself in the studio uh, because it's like oh it's five she expects me to come pick her up mm-hmm. and I'm going to obviously, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Um, so that sort of like creates these limitations that you have to work within, which is sort of a good thing because it means that, all right, in this span of time, I want to achieve these things, which things are actually important going back to like, well, what are the actual important things that move the needle for the business and our, you know, my professional life and, and, and our like future in a way. (laughs) And you pick those things, um, so that's definitely, you know, having the, I, I wouldn't necessarily call them systems as much as it is just awareness. Yeah. It's almost like just like scheduling your life a little bit more, having that, that kind of routine helps you, helps you just keep a little bit more clear headed about it. Yeah. And because we, we both work, uh, me and my wife, uh, we, we have our daycare like uh, full time every day or every weekday. Uh, and, and she, you know, she learns more in daycare than we could ever teach her. So that's good. (laughs) Um, 
And so we just have those. We we still have a full work day to do stuff. And yep. so we just become more productive due to uh, forced productivity in a way. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And I think like people listening to this who don't have kids, it's like this still applies. It's like if you 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 schedule your life and you like prioritize things like it, it's still the same. You know, it's just like when we have kids, when you have kids, you you have no choice but to be a little more on top of that, I guess. It like forces yeah. you into it. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, like one thing that I definitely know a lot of people feel about this industry is that it's you know, it's kind of notorious for having like long days and working late nights and all that kind of stuff. And and I think that there are a lot of people who get into it young. And so it's like, you know, when, when you have the time, you can obviously do it. But there's, there becomes that point where you're like, can I, can I maintain this? And I think that that's like, there's like a tipping point in the industry where like people either choose to stay with it or they're out because like the industry just like outgrows them or something like that or, or the other way around. Um, so like, you know, what's your advice for people who are looking to get into the industry but still have a balanced lifestyle? Because sometimes it does require you to have that kind of chaotic, late night, hard, you know, hustle mentality early on. Yeah, I think this industry in particular requires it to a certain extent. Obviously, I think a lot of it comes down to just you deciding what the life you want to design is. Totally. And but if you, you know, if you want to be recognized and get a, a, you know, big production gigs and or a cool job at a big studio in Nashville or something like that, there is a certain ringer you probably have to go through. I don't necessarily have much experience in that world, but if I wanted to, um, if I wanted to be the person they call back home when I was starting out, if I wanted to get the live gigs and get called to, you know, be the monitor mixer, the front of house engineer or the whatever at the shows, I had to be taking those jobs. I had to be saying yes. And I had to be willing to do the, do the work. Right. And so I think you don't have to, the balance doesn't have to be like day to day. You know, it's like, oh, I only work eight to five or nine to five or whatever. You can do like, you know, I work like a fucking maniac for two weeks, but I'm, I need like five days off you know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Like, I think there is, um, there's always this. And I think that this is true in almost everything is that like after a period of intensity, you need rest to recover. Whether you are lifting weights at the gym, run, training for a, a marathon, or just work, like writing your dissertation, or working insane hours in the studio, you cannot sustain that forever. Uh, and so you need to understand where your particular battery, how your particular battery works, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're running on empty, Figure out how to fill it up, right? How to recharge it. Um, I do a lot of different things. I have other businesses. I mentor for a lot of other business, like you know, businesses, and and do coaching, group coaching a lot with my wife's organization, which helps entrepreneurs and early stage businesses. I'm a venture advisor at the 
at the university's entrepreneurship program here in town. So I'm technically a, a faculty or a teacher. I'm not actually like on the on payroll, but I am um, I am a member of the mentor team for the entrepreneurship program. So like, there's a I have a lot of moving plates, yeah. right? And so I know that, and I also know that I you know I get bored if I didn't have those plates all the time. Um, but when I need a break, I take a break, and because I have the business and I've designed the lifestyle of sort of freedom, I know that if I need a break, even if it's an afternoon on a Tuesday. I can take that. Totally. Except class is actually on afternoons uh, Tuesday, so I couldn't do that. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, like Fridays are usually off. Or yeah. Fridays are, like, kind of, like, not very intense work. It's sort of, like, I'll, I'll do a lot of, like, you know, uh, e- not e- easy work or creative work or, like, learn or watch a video or, like, dabble on, you know, make progress on something that isn't, like, do or, or you know be creative with something you know play guitar uh, stuff like that uh, Mondays usually I start slow slowly uh, I ha- always have a big afternoon on Mondays so I've like you know knowing myself I've started creating this routine um, that works for me I love that yeah and and that's uh, that's definitely something I I can picture some people listening to this being like oh that's easy when you're self employed but you know, if you're not self-employed, obviously that that makes it a little bit more challenging. But and, and I think for people getting into this industry, you know, whether they're just fresh out of college or whatever, it's like sometimes you just have to take those existing industry jobs before you maybe go freelancer. Some people don't even want to go freelance. Some people just want to get that job in the industry. Um, but you you still have to find that balance, I think. You know? Right. And we've talked, you know, like. I kind of make it seem like, oh, there's only two jobs. There's live sound and then like an in-house like commercial studio engineer. But obviously there's not. There's so many different audio jobs available. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's not even scratching the surface of the other music industry jobs that are available that aren't necessarily the technical jobs. They can be in, you know, there's marketing agencies that only do music stuff. There's... You know, there are still labels out there. There are publishing companies. There are music tech companies. So if you just want to work in the music industry, uh, there's there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. You just have to find the job that you want um, and, you know, start there. It doesn't have to be, you know, a recording engineer or a, or a mixing engineer or a producer. You can yeah. maybe do that on the side or maybe that, maybe you'll you know, maybe that's going to be your way in. You know, if you worked at a branding agency and you branded a bunch of big musical acts, like, guess what? Like, now you have that on your resume and that's a pretty big credibility indicator, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that we talk a lot because we're sort of like in the audio industry, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our audience is, um, you know, we have... We have a. I, I think we probably overlap the audience. We have a lot of people that just have their home studios and then like to like dabble and make music and and just kind of have fun with it. They may not actually have any interest in a career, right? Uh, they just want to be good at the technical stuff, which is great. Yep. Uh, but the people that are really want to work in the industry and are still young and want to, you know 
you know, have a career, want to look, be able to look back of twenty years into the future and be like, I really did something cool. It doesn't have to be a recording engineer or producer. It can be. There are so many other jobs. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, there's there's a lot of different areas of this industry you can dabble your feet in, and um, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. Some people, so I mean, some people listening to this aren't going to want to like have a have a career in the industry. That's that's totally cool. And then other people do. And then there's the the people who want to be the artists and promote themselves as artists. And then there's the engineers who want to be professional engineers. So it's it's all over the place. But I think I, you know all of this stuff is still relevant no matter what career you're in or what area of the you know business you're in. It's like you do still need to. Check with yourself, find your goals, find that work-life balance as best as you can, make sure that you're following the right path and, uh, you know, not falling into some traps that could ruin your life or, or like create a lifestyle you don't want, right? It's, I say ruin your life, it's like, a, like it's a disastrous thing, but sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes it's just like you just don't want to do something that you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, another another way that like I think work-life balance can get thrown off sometimes is setting expectations with clients as well because sometimes like you know your clients don't know the work that or the work-life balance that you're trying to create for yourself so it's easy for them to like just assume you're on call and all that kind of stuff so um what are some ways that you manage your client expectations so that they they don't think you're on call and and they know how to when to reach out to you all that kind of stuff yeah so because my 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 main clients are are basically well students is a is not necessarily the right word, but they are, I'm their mentor or their coach. So like whether we are working on help, uh, whether I'm helping them with their online presence or I'm mixing a song with them in front of them and they, you know, I'm teaching them how to do it. That's, uh, you know, a lot of mixed coaching, you know how that works. <laughs> and so I just have specific times on my calendar. I'm available for those things. And if they have uh, questions, I tend to answer them over email within like 24, 48 hours. I don't answer things uh, over the weekend. I don't think I've ever had a real big problem of people wanting to need, like requiring, because we're not in like a high stakes, like I don't have a high stakes client where like things are, you know, life or death if things don't go the right way and it's true. I think people think that it's a high stakes thing for themselves more than their right. clients actually do. Yeah. And so I've never had a problem with like people being annoyed that I don't get back to them on the weekend because I just, I just don't. And, and they, they're fine with that. Um, I do have, but then also like if people have questions, I have so much material. So like when you become like a coaching student where, or a client, when that has access to me, I have, all these, you know, video materials and programs that are supplemental. So even if they can't get me right then and there on the phone, they can get access to the thing that they wanted to learn from me without me being present because that's just the nature of the online uh, course program world that where you have course, yeah. coaching materials and coaching calls, right? Yeah. And so... I just, you know, I make myself available an X amount of hours, um, not every day actually, but a, a, f- a few days a week, and those are just the calls that they book, and they—that's what mm-hmm. they—that's what they book. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think 
you know, whether you're recording bands or or whatever, like just at least having those open lines of communication with your clients is always really important. So they know, you know, what the timelines look like and when you're free and, and yeah, just set those expectations early on and it, it won't take over your life because of it. I think it's important to ask questions because you want to be cognizant of their goals and what Mm -hmm. they're trying to achieve too. Because inherently, if they're hiring you, you should be looking at at yourself as a member of their team. And your job is to help them achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. Um, You know, that relates to you, obviously. Uh, And so you also want to make sure that you know exactly... uh, what that is and how that looks like and how that fits in what your offer is. So, you know, and, and be very clear and upfront about what your offer includes and does not include. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to mix and master a song, like how many revisions be upfront about that. If you do unlimited revisions, be clear about, you know, how realistic unlimited revisions are. Right. <laughs> um, and, be clear and and also i think be aware of red flags because like if you see a red flag in the relationship building process and you think that there this might be you might want to work on the music but the person that who, whose music you're working on seems to be not not the best client you should probably address that head on as uncomfortable as that might be or just not take the project and just move on. You know, sometimes you have to cut your losses too in the middle of a project. Um, you know, there's, I don't know if you, <laughs> there's so many groups and you're probably a part of a lot of Facebook groups, same, same ones I am, but there are some real interesting like client relationship stories that pop up on, you know the six-figure home studio podcast group, and and all this, all these, and and it's always very interesting to see people chime in with their advice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's definitely, uh, yeah, that setting that expectation, having those conversations early on, really can set the set the path for the rest of the project, and and you know maybe save yourself some work if you find those red flags early on, and you know it's worth shooting down a project if it's if it's going to make your life a living hell. Right, because you you said it earlier, like, if you say yes to this, you're saying no to something else. And do you want to be working on a shitty project when the perfect project comes comes in and you have to say no? I mean, that's a romanticized example, but... But you could also look at it as, like, there's a bit of a snowball effect to that, too. So, like, let's say you want to be, like, a a rock engineer and then a whole bunch of hip-hop clients come your way and you're like, okay, I'll take these on because it's, like, easy money or whatever... And then now, be, now you become the hip hop guy, and you're like setting your like you, you're not getting rock clients like you really want, and you're just getting deeper and deeper to this industry you don't want. Like yeah, right. that that that's shooting yourself in the foot. So it's like sometimes you just have to know like where where things are going and see that see that writing on the wall there. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One other thing that I was just thinking about as far as like that work life balance is is that sometimes you just need to create efficiencies in your systems or in your processes as well. Oh yeah. Um, So when it comes to being in the studio, what are some different efficiencies or systems or different ways that you've um, developed for yourself to, to help you work faster or smarter and, and, you know, be more efficient overall? Yeah. um, If I need to do things more than 
two times. I try to create an automation for it in some way. For instance, if I, if I have to send a lot of the same email to a lot of different clients or a lot of different people, maybe there's like, you know, you personalize the first part of the email, but then there's basically an informational section that's the same. Then I just create that as a template email so that I can shoot out, you know, 10 emails in 20 seconds instead of like writing a new email every time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you can still personalize, um, but you don't have to personalize the whole thing. So those sorts of things, like figuring out like, all right, if if I'm going to be doing this over and over and over again, is there an automation or a shortcut or something that will help me uh, make it so that, you know, I save some time and just like the moving of the things, for instance, like a mix template is a perfect example of this, right? Like I just have a giant mix template that just has all my plugins that I usually use on the buses that usually get created, not all the time, but they, and they're all there. They're all bypassed. All the sends are already set up. Yep. All this sort of stuff is just there. So I just import the tracks, do a rough mix, send it to the template, and then I don't have to like spend, I don't know, like an extra hour or two because that adds up just hunting in the plugin folder. Totally. Yeah. You and know? those are all little things that like, yeah, you don't realize when you're in the moment, you don't realize how much time it's actually taking until like, you know, you you set aside some time to build that that automation. And I was working with one of my coaching students today and, and we were talking about building a template and I was like, okay, let, let's see how long it takes to build a template. And like, however long that takes you, is time that you've saved on your mix, you know, like right. you can right. look at it that way, right? Yeah. Time yourself. And, or even, uh, you know, I love what you were saying about emails and like using programs like that. Like I, I use, um, I don't know if you use text expander, but I, I that's what I yeah. use. And, you know, they send you an email every week. Here's how much time you saved using these shortcuts, you know, and it's right. like, it blows my mind how much time I would have been typing out emails, you know? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And yeah. like also, um, I think not enough people have an ROI mindset of like uh, spending money to free time, free up time or create convenience. Um, Obviously you have to have money in order to spend it. So like, I don't want to be all privileged about it, but there is something to be said about spending three hours doing something poorly instead and uh, instead of, just paying $30 for somebody else to do it for you or to buy a service that does it uh, in 30 minutes or something like that. Totally. Because like the ROI or the, or the return on effort is just exponential. Like it's the return is, is so great. Um, So like if there are tools available and they cost money, uh, they probably don't cost as much money as the time you're saving or the value it brings. Absolutely. Uh, And, and yeah, so like that definitely think not enough people think that way. And especially when it comes to tools on the internet, there are so many free trials that you're literally never losing any (laughs) money by just seeing if it works. Yeah, it's true. If you can just get a seven day trial and see if it works and it saves you a bunch of time and effort, like, I think that's probably worth 20 bucks a month. Absolutely. If, <laughs> if it is something that you use all the time, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's when you sometimes when you just realize that uh, that return on investment, whether it's your time or monetary or whatever it is, when you actually see that return, it puts things into perspective of like how much you can actually continue to invest into it long term. And um, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think I, I try not to push a lot of plugins with my clients because like I think we all have enough EQs and compressors and all that kind of stuff. But there are a handful of plugins that I will say like you know having a tool like Vocaline or whatever that's going to save you hours of time if you're editing vocals a lot or sure. you know like th- th- there's a whole bunch of tools like that that I think those ones are worth investing into because it's, you're getting your time back with it you know yeah um, yeah absolutely yeah yeah awesome well Bjorvin, I don't want to take up too much more of your time but I-, I think we covered a lot of great ground here as far as people yeah. like you know trying to get into this industry establish like you know their careers and um, building their audiences and all that kind of stuff so I, I love everything we covered in here and there's I'm sure there's plenty more that we can get into um but uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have you back again. If people want to, yeah. if you want to learn more about you or follow you online, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just audioissues.com is a good place to start. Audio-issues.com is also available as a domain. Uh, I think they all redirect there. Um, I'm on Facebook, Facebook Audio Issues, Instagram Audio Issues, and I also have a YouTube channel that is um, actually my goal for this year is to become a better video storyteller and make more videos and better videos that aren't just like, here's another mix tip, but something that's a little more substantial. So uh, you can also check out the YouTube channel there, but um, the best way to learn the most from me is to sign up to my email list on audio issues. uh, And because you'll get a lot of uh, free content and tips and tricks and, sort of all, all the best stuff stuff that I've done throughout the years. So um, that's probably where they should go. And then obviously this, the books are available on Amazon. So, um, and actually probably anywhere you get your books, they should be available in like Barnes and Noble and places like that as well. But I usually just refer people to Amazon. So it's step-by-step mixing or you get what you give on Amazon uh, or stepbystepmixing.com. Or you get what you give book.com too. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely include notes, uh, include those in the show notes so people have them. Thank you. Awesome, man. Well, it's been great having you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I hope uh, hope people enjoyed it and hope uh, they had some takeaways and can take take some action to improve their their music career, whatever that means to them. I'm sure they will. Right on, man. So that was my interview with Bjorvin Benedictson, and I thought he shared a ton of great advice about how to get into the industry and how to create a well-balanced lifestyle for yourself and, you know, live a life where your priorities are maintained, whether that priority is family or your own mental health or any of that kind of stuff. You know, you, you definitely want to live a life where it's fulfilling and you sometimes have to set some boundaries on things just to make sure that you maintain that lifestyle. But when you do it, you're going to be a lot more grateful for it. And the people in your life will be grateful for it as well. Um, And, you know, with me definitely being a new dad, I'm definitely feeling that pull for sure where, you know, I need to change around my life a little bit more to have a little bit more of a schedule and, um, you know, to have a little bit more routine like Jorvan was talking about in this episode. Because I know that once I do that, I'm for sure going to be more efficient with my time. You know, when you only have limited time, you work harder to get things done on, on time and you find efficiencies in your system. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited to implement a lot of the stuff that Bjorvin was talking about here. And I definitely think that if you're someone who's feeling like 
you don't have that work-life balance, if you feel like you're just constantly grinding and not really feeling fulfilled, look inward, you know, and like follow some of this advice that Bjorman's talking about here and start to set those boundaries for yourself so that you have that much better balanced lifestyle. So yeah, I'm really excited that we had Bjorvin on here. He's such an awesome guy, and he shared a ton of great stuff. So I hope that you found that helpful. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. And also, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is a website where I help out musicians with creating pro-sounding recordings from their home studios. If you're looking for someone that can help provide you with a step-by-step process for recording, editing, and mixing your music so that you know exactly what to do, what to listen for, how to dial in settings, where to position your microphones, all that kind of stuff, so that you're making your music sound exactly the way you've always wanted to hear it, that is what I can help you with. Make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com because that is where I have a ton of great resources designed to help you throughout that process. Whether you're looking for coaching or courses or check out my book. It's called The Mixing Mindset. And in that book, I break down the process of mixing step by step. So definitely make sure to check that out. It's all available at MasterYourMix.com. And I would love to help you with getting your music out there and making it sound super exciting and making you feel proud of the music that you're working on. Once again, check that out, MasterYourMix.com. And that is it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end, and I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.